0: Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 77. Psalm 77. As you're turning, I'm going to say a word that each of us have heard far too many times. Health. We're always concerned about our health. If you can remember back to the days before COVID, you go to the Kroger You're waiting in line, and every magazine is going to tell you five ways to get them abs you've always wanted for the summer. Everybody below the age of 40 used to do this, what I consider a God-forsaken thing. They call it CrossFit. Sounds miserable. Why? Because we're all concerned about our health. And I think each of us here wants to live long and happy lives. Uh, And to do that, you have to exercise, you have to eat right, you have to take care of yourself. We talked about that this morning. Uh, But what if I told you that's only half the picture? That we're made both body and soul. And if we want to have good overall health, we have to have good soul health. We're going to talk about soul health today. We're going to preach. We're going to pick that up in our sermon in a sentence. Meditation maintains good soul health. Meditation maintains good soul health. Let's pray and we're going to jump in. Gracious Father. You have given us your word to build us up in comfort and holiness, and I ask just those two things, that your word would be effectual for that in the lives of us here and all who hear. Build us up. Give us holiness. Give us comfort. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. I'm going to read Psalm 77, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let me just begin with something very important. We are made both body and soul, and one affects the other. Let me read to you a quote from Archibald Alexander, the first president of Princeton Theological Seminary. He says, and I quote, A rough east wind is sufficient to blow up clouds which completely obscure the cheerful sunshine of the soul. Such persons who have a stomach easily disordered will be deranged in the nerves and depressed in the spirits. The want of refreshing sleep or watchfulness is another cause of the same effects. End quote. What is he saying? A Christian can have a sense of separation from God not because of an abundance of sin, but because of a lack of sleep. Because we're made both body and soul. Archibald was known for visiting people who had depression. And before he would ask, or before he would remind them about God's promises, he would say, how you sleeping at night? Because he realized we are made body and soul. One affects the other. Now, if that's how our body affects our soul, How does our soul affect our body? How does poor soul health affect our overall health? In the psalmist, we see three things. Poor soul health produces a lack of rest. The psalmist says his hand is stretched out without wearying. And don't we understand how this works? You lay down at night. It's quiet and all of a sudden your mind starts thinking about someone you're angry with and you just get worked up, don't you? Or say you've done something and you're ashamed and what happens? You start questioning what everybody else is saying. Or say someone's sick. Someone has COVID. Your mind starts going of all the worst case scenarios. You see, all of these things are spiritual problems. Anger, shame, guilt, fear. All of these are spiritual problems. And what do they affect? Your rest. Poor soul health produces poor overall health. Poor soul health produces a lack of rest and it produces a lack of response. In verse 4, the psalmist says that he is so troubled he cannot even speak. And this flows naturally from the former. You can't sleep well. You can't perform well. And it happens in many ways. You go and you visit somebody and they talk about something they did 20 years ago. It's not because their memory is fading. It's because it's still eating away at them. And they have the inability to respond to the things of this world because they have a soul problem. They see the world in a negative light because they see God in a negative light. That's a soul problem. Their poor soul health has produced poor overall health. They can't respond to the world around them. And then lastly, you see that poor soul health produces a lack of reason. You know, by the time you get to verse 7, the psalmist has forgotten how to use his brain. He's forgotten how to reason. Has God's steadfast love forever ceased? Well, if it's steadfast love and it ceases, it ain't steadfast love, is it? The psalmist has forgotten to reason. What poor soul health does is produce short-sightedness. Our souls become enveloped in the black fog of sin, and we can't make sense of what God is doing. And what happens is we self-medicate. We say, well, if I just start working out, everything will be better. If I cut this person out of my life, everything will get better. If I become more involved, things will get better. But you see, that's dealing with the symptoms. That's not dealing with the source. We have a poor soul health. And increasing our physical health will not fix the problem. We're not thinking clearly. Poor soul health produces poor overall health. So the question is for us today, how do we promote good health? How do we care for our souls? And even if, I, if, as I ask you that question, you know, how do you care for your soul? Many of us are drawing a blank. You know, when I was led to Christ in the ninth grade, no one put their arm around me and said, brother, let me tell you how you care for your soul. It was, oh, you're a Christian now. Have a nice life. We can have a seminar on soul care. We're going to have a sermon. We're only going to talk about one way. We're going to talk about meditation. Meditation is like medication for your soul. Meditation maintains good soul health. Now, before we talk about what meditation is, we're going to talk about what meditation is not. Because we have some strange ways of using the word meditation. Meditation is not an emptying of yourself. Meditation is not finding a place of stillness, a place of quiet, a place of nirvana. The fact of the matter is, as Proverbs describes your heart as a fountain always bubbling forth. Something is always coming out of your heart. The question is what? Paul describes it as walking by the flesh or walking by the spirit. And Paul doesn't mean how you strut around your house. What Paul is talking about is the way your mind wanders. Where does your mind meander when you give it freedom? If we're quite honest, when we let our mind do what our mind wants, it never ends in good places, does it? And God kind of points this out in Genesis 6. He says the thoughts and intentions of man's heart are evil, from their youth. Meditation is not an emptying of yourself. Meditation is a filling yourself with Christ. Take for example, you've got a catchy song in in your head. For us, it was Cotton Fields by Credence Clearwater Revival. And you say, I'm not going to sing that song anymore. And next thing you know, you're washing dishes, And you start humming that song. You know, you can't will that song out of your head. So what do you do? You sing something else. In the same way, Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world. Do not think like this world, but be transformed by a renewing of your minds. Our minds must be filled with something else. And it is not us that do the filling. Jesus says in John 3, unless you've been born by water and spirit, you can't even see the kingdom of God. That you must have a new heart. In Ezekiel, God says, I'm going to give them a new heart and a new spirit. God says, I'm going to write my law upon their heart. We need something new to fill in the place. We cannot will ourselves into right thinking. Instead, Jesus dies on the cross to show us that our truths that we cling so tenaciously to are untruths. That in crimson blood, Jesus writes in bold letters, God is God and He loves you. He gives us His spirit to bear witness to that love. He writes those truths On our mind, He transforms us from the very inside. Meditation is filling ourselves with Christ. We see this in the psalmist. The psalmist says, oh, woe is me. And then he says, I'm going to appeal to God. And I'm going to think about what God has done. In John 14, the disciples are scared. And Jesus says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And then you know what Jesus did? He preached a sermon. He gave them comfort. He told them truths. He filled their mind with them. Do you think that made a difference? Well, we read in Acts 2, it made a difference. And it obviously made a difference because John wrote it down many years later. Jesus gave them comfort by filling their minds. And today what we do is the same thing. When we hear the word preached, when we come to this table, when we read the word, when we pray, when we think on him, we are filling our minds with Christ that we may have stability and we may have comfort. Meditation is what produces good soul health. We must meditate on the things of Christ. Now, as I say all that, you might agree with me and you might say, Zach, meditation sounds like a good thing. Now, how do I do it? Let me give you some practical things that you can take home and put in work today. First, this might seem basic. I want you to meditate daily. I'm not going to tell you how long to meditate, but the Psalms say at least morning and evening. You know, if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, "Kindle, do you exercise? And Kindle looks at the doctor and says, once, the doctor's going to chuckle this. He expects us to exercise every day. In the same way, God expects us, if we're going to maintain good physical health, we exercise regularly, we maintain good spiritual health, we meditate daily. Second, I want you to meditate without distractions. We have these things right here. You know, I can send you journal articles where they talk about cell phones produce depression and despair, but at the very minimum, they're a distraction. Let me give you an example. You call me and you say, Zach, I want to stop by the office. I need to talk. Which would you prefer? Spending an hour with me while I'm on my computer and texting people are 15 minutes when I shut my computer and put my phone away. Which one would you rather have? Probably the second. In the same way, God is a jealous God, and we are his bride. He doesn't want to share us with Facebook, with the news, with what other distractions we can make up. He wants time with us. Meditate without distractions. Lastly, I want you to meditate with direction. You, get, you tell your husband to go to the grocery store, you don't give him any directions. Don't be disappointed when he comes home with nothing. Meditate with direction. I'm gonna give you five quick directions. First, I want you to ask for help. That's what the psalmist does. He appeals to God. Paul prays that the spirit of wisdom would open our eyes. Listen, if you're in chronic pain, if you're sick, if you're tired, it's hard to meditate. If your life is full of prosperity, And you're enjoying the things of this world. It's hard to make time for God. Both these things tug at our heart. And we must ask God for help. Ask God for help. And pick a helpful subject. You know, this should seem like a no-brainer. But at the same time, you know, you have people. They're suffering with depression. And you say, Brother... Well, tell me what you're studying. And they say, oh man, I'm reading the genealogies of 1 Chronicles. You know, that might not be the most helpful place to go. Meditate on something that's helpful. When John Knox was dying, he wanted John 17 to read to him. He wanted to meditate on the reality that Jesus Christ is praying for him. If you're fearful, meditate on God's sovereignty. If you're struggling with temptation, meditate on the evilness of sin. If you're questioning God's will, meditate on His goodness. You get in the picture here. We've got to pick things that are helpful. If you don't know where to look, you can call me. Most of your Bibles will have a concordance in the back. Find verses that you can think on. Toss in your mind. If you're wrestling with something... Instead of getting a physical, get a spiritual. Find out where you need the most help. Like third, ask, pick a subject, and store it in your heart. Larry Bird used to go to the cornfields in Indiana and shoot hundreds of three-point shots. Why? He wanted to develop muscle memory. So in the heat of the game, it was natural. We want to store these truths in our heart so that when affliction comes, it's muscle memory. This word is like anybody's. that when affliction and trial and temptations come, they attack, they defend, they work in your life, but we must store them up. Now you may say to yourself, Zach, I'm 85 years old. I don't remember what I did yesterday. Let me give you some advice. Buy a spiral-bound notebook. Write them down. You've got a phone. Type them in there. Robert Murray McShane, when he would read his Bible, he would underline important verses and jot notes in his Bible. And every Sunday, he would review all the verses he had underlined. Find practical ways to store these things in your heart. So ask, pick, store and apply it to your life. This ain't jeopardy. This is life. To read the Bible and to not apply it is like buying a treadmill and never cutting it on. What good have we done? If you're meditating on God's goodness, reflect on it when affliction strikes. If you read that God answers prayer, meditate on it and pray more. If you're meditating on the evils of sin, avoid it. Whatever truths you get, store them in your heart. Apply them to your life. Lastly, ask, pick, store, apply, and thank God. I could spend a while on this. Our confession says that God has given us his word for our more sure establishment and comfort. Look, we take vitamins, we exercise, we try to eat healthy, because we want to stay out of the doctor's office. Amen. These are good things. God has given us his word for that very reason. And let me tell you something. When they had when they were when God was putting this thing together. You couldn't go down to the Kinko's and make copies. Writing was expensive. They did not waste a word. God does not give us for love. God does not give us fine print that you don't really have to read. God gives us what we need for our establishment and our comfort. Now you might say to me, Zach, I don't understand the Bible. I'm not a very smart man. I haven't been a Christian my entire life. Look, if you take this Word and you meditate on Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you think about that, you think about all that God has made, and you get done and you say, you know what? God is good. That is something you should thank God for. I would rather have those three words than mountains of silver and gold. Those three words will provide more help for your body and soul than anything this world can offer. Those three words are something we should thank God for. Church, I'm your pastor, okay? I told someone a couple weeks ago, I'm a pastor. I don't write prescriptions. I write sermons. I care about your soul. So you know what I want you to do? I want you to leave this place. I want you to get a good night's sleep. I want you to eat well. I want you to take your vitamins. I want you to wash your hands. These things care for your body, and a healthy body will have a healthy soul. But I'm your pastor. Many of us are plagued with bodily ailments today because of anxiety, fear, unresolved guilt, and the list goes on and on. These are spiritual problems. That's where my priority is. When you look at Jesus Christ, he never complained about physical pain. He never compl- complained about being hungry, about being homeless, about He did not even cry when he was whipped and hung on the cross. Jesus did not cry loudly until he uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's a spiritual problem. Your body can waste away, but as long as your inner man is being renewed daily, you can waste away in prisons like Samuel Rutherford. You can bury wives and children like John Flavel. You can sit at the deathbeds of hundreds like Benjamin Morgan Palmer, and you can stand because you're spiritually healthy. 95% of our problems could be solved by regular time with Christ. Christ knows our spiritual pain. He's given you his word. He's given you this table. He is giving you himself for your establishment and your comfort. So church, check your Bibles. Meditate on Christ. Store it in your heart. Apply it to your life. He will provide excellent soul care. Now let us pray. Heavenly Father, build us up and strengthen us. Let your word be our firm foundation this morning. Father, we ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen. Now we're going to do some Christian meditation this morning. He has provided this table as a gospel that is visible. That the word preached, we can see, we can taste, we can feel, we can touch. He wants to engage all of us because we need stability. We need comfort. We need him. And in this supper, Christ dwells with us spiritually and we feed on him. This table is for believers. And so I caution you this. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you a member of his church? Then this table is for you. If you're not, I encourage you just to watch. If you have some egregious sin that you have not confessed, I encourage you just to, to watch. But if you need Christ this day, you need to be strengthened. Here he is. He invites you to come. And as we pick up this wafer, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he blessed the bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And that bread was a fitting pitcher. Isaiah 53 said that he sprung like a root from dry ground. And then it goes on to say there was a will of the Father to crush him. Like wheat, he came up and he was crushed. What do you make bread with, you make it with wheat. He was crushed for us that we may have substance, spiritual substance spiritual life, spiritual health. He gave this to us for our well-being. So let us pray and set these elements apart. And Jay's going to pass them around and I ask that you wait and we'll take them all together. Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, as you set these elements apart from a common to a holy use, would you set us in this moment apart from a common to a holy use? We are tired, we are weak, and Father, we need Christ to strengthen us in our inner man. Dwell in our hearts by faith, hold us up, bear carry us in your arms, and use this time to do so. Father, we ask these things in your Son's most precious name. Amen. take This is Christ's body broken for you. And then Christ took the cup. And after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples and said, this cup is the blood of my New Testament which is poured out for many for their forgiveness of sins. How do you make wine or sunflower grape juice in our half? The wine, the grapes have to be pressed. And Christ was treaded in the wine press of God's wrath for us that we may have remission of sins and all the benefits that come with it. There's a distinction here. Bread is given for your substance. Wine is given to gladden your heart, to bring you joy. And Christ says that he wants our joy to be filled in us. He has come to give you joy. So as this cup is passed around, I ask you to think, the joy we have in Jesus Christ, of the remission we have through his blood, of all the promises confirmed by him as he hung upon that cross and rose for us. What does his blood mean to us? Think deeply on these things as MJ passes them around. And drink. This is Christ's blood poured out for us.
1: Mm. Let us pray. Heavenly
0: Father, as we prepare to leave this place, as we sing, would you build us up in holiness and comfort? That as each of us here find ourselves in a day of great trial would Jesus Christ, strengthen us from on high. As he's promised to keep us, to guard us, to sanctify us, to have us, to be with him in heaven to behold his glory. May your word preached and your word seen and tasted Sustain us in this great day until that day of rest, when both sin and suffering cease. Father, we ask these things in your Son's blessed name. Amen. Amen. To turn to page 252, we're going to sing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 252.